I want to share a brief message with you today, and then at the close, we're going to receive communion together, and we'll have Glenn and Landon come back and close us in a song. Um, you know, I love my dad jokes. I just do. You know, I just love them. I can't let Christmas go by without a good dad joke. So what did the wise men say after they offered up their gifts of gold and frankincense? Wait, there's myrrh. And there is more, more this morning. Um, in fact, I want to talk about those wise men, and I want to talk about the central theme of what Christmas should be for you and I, and that really is uh, worship. Um, in fact, I'm just really praying and hoping and believing this morning that your heart gets captured by a fresh sense of worship today. Thanks for coming out. Tough day, you know, so cold out there. Tracy and I took a 90-degree shift. Man, thanks for the warm welcome back to Louisville, you know. It was 85 degrees, and we came back to negative 5 degrees. That's a 90-degree shift. That was cruel, you guys. But anyway, we're happy to be back. I want to talk about worship. Worship is central to the Christmas story. <laughs> Whenever people came in contact with just even the, the story as it unfolds in Luke chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, you just see worship happening. Worship, it, it's almost like it's a spontaneous thing that, that comes as hearts that are receptive receive the Christmas story. I mean, it starts with Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, the priest, as uh, John the Baptist is coming into the picture. Zechariah has a, a prophetic word about the coming of the Lord and worships. And then Elizabeth, as she is pregnant with John the Baptist, she sings a song of praise to God. Mary worships. The angels are worshiping. The shepherds in the field, they break out in worship to God. The wise men, they come and they appropriately worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Christ child. Simeon, waiting at the temple, worshiping the Lord, worshiping him in his arms. Anna's there too, 84 years old, waiting and anticipating the coming of the Lord. Anyone who comes in contact with the story of Christmas in Scripture, Luke chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, worships. And I hope that you will too today. Thanks for coming out on a snowy, cold day on this Christmas day. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. Let me give you just a couple of thoughts about worship, just to kind of get you focused this morning, because I want this day, I just want you to be freshly captured by the worship of Christ at Christmas. John Ortberg says it like this, I need worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude, and I plod through life with blinders on. I need worship. You and I today 
My goal is that as we leave this place, we worship and we leave changed because of it. Darlene Sheck says this, worship's more than singing beautiful songs in church on a Sunday. It's more than instruments and music. As a true worshiper, your heart will long to worship him at all times, in all ways, and with all your life. Matt Radman says it this way, in worship, God captures your heart, and when he's got it, the real work begins. Five things this morning I want to point out to you out of Matthew chapter 2 about worship. The first one is simply this, worship always involves personal sacrifice. Matthew 2 verses 1 and 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's really interesting because when you kind of historically unpack this and you think about this and you think about what Scripture says about these wise men, there's a lot of tradition that's kind of added to the story that isn't necessarily found in Scripture. We don't know, honestly, that there were only three wise men. That's kind of been a historical thing that's been added in. Scripture never says there were three. There's a very good likelihood, by the way, that the, the entourage that came with these wise men was quite large. It says they came from the east, probably from the, 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 the Parthenian kingdom, which had been at war at different times with the Roman kingdom. Um, and it's, it's not right at the very same time as Jesus is born. It's quite a while after that, maybe even 18 months after the birth of Christ that the wise men actually show up in Bethlehem. They're no longer in the cave, in the, you know, in the manger scene. They're in a home now when the wise men show up. It's interesting, Herod is the king of the Jews, he, a, a, a title he earned through a conflict at 37 B.C. between, between uh, the Roman kingdom and the Parthenians. He won a victory there, and, and he was conferred the title, the king of the Jews. So it's really interesting, right? Uh, the Magi, the Magi, who are these guys? They're probably from the Persian nation, the, the Parthenians, and they are... Um, to the Persian nation, what the Levites are to the Israelites. They're the, the, the wise men, the, the ones gifted, if you will, in the arts, they would say. They watched the stars. They were interpreter of dreams. And they had read, probably in the, in the book of Daniel, some of the prophetic things in Daniel, and they were watching and waiting for the Messiah. And they had to travel, believe it or not, about 850 miles from where they lived to the place of Bethlehem. It's not an easy journey by any means. Can you imagine traveling by, you know, camelback, horseback, on foot, whatever, for 850 miles? Most of us would have no concept of what that's like. You hear 850 miles, you even go, that's a long ways in a car. 
In fact, I don't know if I want to drive that. That's kind of the way we are today, right? So we're checking the Internet to see if we can get a cheap flight to go to someplace that's 850 miles away. Worship is not based on what is comfortable for us. Worship, true worship, always involves sacrifice. There's a price to pay. There's an offering to give in worship. Some of you sacrificed to be here today. Somebody said to me, oh, it was so hard to get out of bed this morning. It was so warm and cozy. But you wanted to come and you wanted to worship and you wanted to make much of Christ in your life. Some of you sacrificed, but it's not about me or you. It's about him. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of our heartfelt, authentic, true Worship. The Magi come looking for, and notice the title they use, we're looking for the King of the Jews. Can you imagine the tension here that happens when, when Herod and the Magi come together and, and Herod had won the battle against the nation that probably the Magi came from. He's conferred this title, King of the Jews. And then they come asking, where is the King of the Jews? It's a little bit of tension here in the story. They've come to worship him no matter what it costs them. And the reason is, is because he's worthy. Second, worship opens our eyes to spiritual realities. When King Herod heard this, uh, verse 3, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he asked them where the Messiah would be born. Notice this, they quickly come up with the answer. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. In you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can too go and worship him. That's a ruse, isn't it? After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. I want you to notice something here. The chief priests, the scribes, and King Herod himself. They never even leave the palace there in Jerusalem to go and see the king who was born. It's just a, about a four and a half mile journey from Jerusalem south to Bethlehem. They miss the star, they miss the king, they don't take the journey. They miss out, if you will, on Christmas. Why? Because their hearts weren't right. They weren't worshipers of this Christ child, of this king that had come to earth. They didn't see or sense what the wise men did. Because worship, true worship, one of the things it always does for you and I is it opens our eyes and it sensitizes our hearts to spiritual realities we would miss otherwise. Worship, worshipers see and perceive what others miss. Worship 
tenderizes your heart to the things of God. Let me just encourage you today and every day, every single day, not just on Christmas Day, worship God in the morning, worship God in the afternoon, worship God in the evening. When you lay your head on your pillow at night, let your heart be filled with worship to the one true King. Amen? Third, worship results in great joy. Matthew 2.10, it says, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. In other words, we would say they were thrilled. They were excited. They were out of their, you know, out of their minds, happy and, and overflowing with joy. Psalm 16.11 says it this way, In the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. You know what that means? The closer you and I get to Jesus, the more joy we are going to radiate with and will overflow our lives. Today, I, I want you to leave this place with just a fresh baptism of joy because you've been here specifically to worship the Lord. Fourth, worship involves giving to God. Matthew 2.11, it says, Entering the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So you see, Jesus and his family had stayed for a season in Bethlehem, and the wise men found them there and brought these gifts probably in a, in a big chest, you know, like a treasure chest. And the value of the gifts, quite honestly... If we could tabulate it, probably would be in today's currency millions of dollars, to be honest. It's not just a valuable gift that they bring. It's also a prophetic gift that they bring to the Christ child. First of all, gold. Gold is a gift fit for a king. Gold speaks of his majesty and his value above all else. Frankincense is the incense that was used commonly in worship. And it speaks of Jesus as the high priest and his deity. Myrrh was often used in burial rituals of the day. It was an aromatic spice and it speaks of his coming death for all mankind to take away their sin. See, true worship always gives something. When you and I sing out, you know, and I just want to encourage you, when you're in church, sing out. Don't be, you know, I don't have a great voice. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been told I'm a tenor, you know, that I, it's best if I sing ten or more miles away from everybody else. You know, I, I wasn't sure what it meant, and then they told me that. But when you sing out to God, let me just tell you, he's not listening to your notes. He's not, he's not critiquing your voice. Let me put it this way. He's listening to your heart. He loves your praise when it's lifted to him. It's, it's a sweet incense in and of itself that, that is going up before his very presence. It's a sweet gift of obedience and honor to God. And listen, I love that song that Glenn started with, throw up your hands. I don't know about you, but when I throw up my hands to God, it symbolizes me giving myself afresh to God. I'm surrendering, Lord. 
again and again and again because I need to. I need to daily surrender my life to you. Every portion of it I'm giving myself as a living sacrifice to you because you and you alone are worthy. God's pleased when we offer ourselves to him fully. And then lastly, worship changes you. Worship changes you. Matthew chapter 2 verse 12 says, And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. And certainly the meaning of this scripture can be that, you know, they perceived and understood that Herod had uh, not pristine motives, that Herod had uh, evil motives. And um, by the way, if you do any research about Herod, this particular Herod, he was quite a wicked man. He killed several members of his own family beyond trying to simply kill the children of that day and time. He was a, a wicked man. It appears that, of course, they don't want Herod to know that they had left. But let me just say this also. There's another possible way to look at this, and I think it's important to keep this in mind. When you go up into the temple in Jerusalem to worship, you enter by one flight of steps, you go into the temple, and when you leave, you leave by another exit. You leave through a different route. Not all about you, but here's kind of the way I picture church and us gathering together as the body of Christ. And one of the things I'm always praying for, believing for, is that we will leave differently than when we came. That you and I, when we really worship, it, it might even be imperceptible to you. you. You may not realize it, but every time you're in God's presence, it changes you. Even if it's just a little bit, you're, you're recalibrated to the things of God. You're, you're sensitized to the issues of life. You're, you're sensitized, if you will, to the needs around you. It just brings you and I back into a place of greater, clearer perspective. You receive healing or you receive breakthrough or you receive encouragement or you overflow with joy. Something's happening even if it's imperceptible. You and I can't be in the presence of holy, almighty God and not be changed. So this morning, as we worship together on this Christmas day, I'm going to ask Glenn and Landon to come back. I'm going to ask my wife to come and join me here. Would you stand with me? You should have received a communion cup as you came in today. If, if anyone here doesn't have one, please raise your hand. We'll get you one. I want us to conclude our time together this morning receiving communion. Just humbly coming before the table of the Lord and thanking the Lord for his body and his blood. He came to give himself fully for us. He came knowing his life would be cut short. He came knowing he'd lay it all down. He came knowing he would suffer and bleed and die. He came knowing he would be the ultimate sacrifice he came with joy, the Bible says, for the 
joy set before him, he endured the cross. I want us to come and adore the Lord. Would you open, pull out the piece of bread. Lord, thank you this morning for this little piece of bread that symbolizes something so wonderful, so magnificent, so incredible. The very body of the Lord Jesus himself who came at that first Christmas long ago knowing his body would be broken on our behalf that we might be made whole. Lord, we worship you with all of our hearts. Forgive us of all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness. Cleanse us by your blood. Lord, this morning, once again, we just we want to throw our hands up and, and worship you, giving you ourselves fully and completely that we might be the people you've called us to be in this earth, that we might be pleasing to you, that we might be living sacrifices, living every moment of every day fully for your glory. Let's receive the bread together.